Chapter 68, Dorothy, Surrender The moment Nyx realized Jordan was falling from the roof, an impulse hit her. She didn't stop to think it through. Her instincts took over, and she did three things nearly simultaneously. She left her body, turned her soul inside out, and caught Jordan in midair. Well, caught was a bit of an overstatement. The friction of her spiritual gymnastics filled her body with heat, at which point she made it semi-solid. But she didn't count on his weight slamming into her with such force. Basically, she turned herself into a partially ethereal airbag. Jordan still hit the ground with disturbing finality, but his eyes reopened almost immediately, and he began screaming again. That was a good sign. At least his lungs were working. Nix didn't know where Odias had run off to, but she wasn't about to leave her meat around for him to steal. With a thought, she materialized in the same space as her body. Thankfully, it wasn't occupied. She started her heart and cried out with pain. Then, it was over. The leaving and returning had taken about two full seconds. She was getting pretty good at this. Then she remembered Gary and began to cry. Fawn and her friends didn't hang around to talk to the police. According to Leo, the orange car disappeared down the back road just as the pair of cruisers pulled up. Jordan had broken his leg, but was otherwise ecstatic to be alive. Tiago and Leo got to Jordan first, and he sent them to greet the police and drag them up to check on Nick's. Donald Dibble accompanied the police up to investigate the attic. Apparently, he'd heard the roaring engines and called the police. Bless that man. For a good half hour, it was bedlam. The officers didn't seem to know whether to look for clues, take care of the dead body, treat Jordan's injuries, or try to get the Padilla boys to talk sense. It wasn't until Sergeant Frost made it up the hill, in his sweats, that a modicum of order was restored. He set three officers to patrol and search for the suspect in the foliage surrounding the mansion. Two more searched the house, and once it was secured, began to tape off the crime scene in the kitchen and attic. The last officer, Mike Crotty, was to stay with Jordan until the ambulance arrived. Sergeant Frost himself sat Nix and the Padilla boys down on the front steps with motor oil-scented blankets and demanded the events in order with as much detail as they could remember. It was a shame Jordan was moaning on the grass. His account of the incident would have been a whole lot more helpful. Nix let Leo do most of the talking. She and Tiago chimed in occasionally, but Leo was clearly still full of adrenaline. He gave a pretty accurate version of events, starting with Fawn and her friends, then the high-speed chase to the uppers. But then it got weird. Leo and Tiago kept looking at each other, as if gauging what or how much to tell him. This wasn't lost on Sergeant Frost. What's the problem? Did one of you do something wrong? Or are you trying to protect someone? Leo cleared his throat. It's just... We saw some stuff that we don't really understand, and I don't think you're going to believe us. Just tell me what you saw and heard. I will analyze it later. Leo nodded at Tiago. Well, Tiago said, we were hiding in the trees over there. I saw Nix let Jordan in the back door. After a bit, I began to get a really uneasy feeling about the house. I saw something move in the attic window, and suddenly it was as if the entire house was vibrating with evil. I could almost feel the ground shaking. Sergeant Frost furrowed his eyebrows and looked to Leo. I didn't notice any of this, Leo said. I was busy watching Fawn's friends break into my car and smash up my CDs and both our cell phones. I knew something was not right, Tiago continued. 
so I shouted to Nix and Jordan to get out. Anyway, after a few more minutes, I heard Jordan shouting. Then he crawled out the window. Next thing I know, he's lying on his stomach on the roof, looking upside down into the attic window. There was a gunshot, then someone jumped out the window, knocked Jordan off, I guess, and somehow swung up onto the roof. He ran across it, like way faster than I've ever seen anyone run. I saw that too, Leo said, and he jumped to that tree and made it. Sergeant Frost looked at the tree indicated and raised an eyebrow. But the weirdest thing, Leo said, was that when Jordan fell, there was like this explosion of flour or something, and when we got over to him, there were ice crystals covering him and the ground and a couple of the trees. Tiago nodded. It melted pretty quickly, though. At any rate, Leo said, the thugs took off and neither of us saw where the Olympic roof runner ran off to. Sergeant Frost tapped a pen to his lip. Roof runner. You think it might be the same man who tore up Sarah's room? No, Nick said. It wasn't him. Can anyone give me a description of this guy? Leo shook his head. It was kind of weird, actually. I could see Jordan pretty well on the roof, but the guy seemed to absorb the light or something. He was just a shadow, but he had a smaller build, I guess. Tiago made a face. Sort of medium, I'd say. Sergeant Frost made a note. Nix, why do you think it's not the same person who jumped into the Hainsworth's pool? Nix interlocked her fingers and set her hands on her lap so they wouldn't shake. We talked. I didn't recognize his voice. Tiago was right. There was something not normal about him. Nix related an edited version of their conversation, leaving out any mention of demon possession. I think whoever killed Sarah's dog was working for the guy who killed Gary. And what does surrender Dorothy mean to you? Nix shook her head. I honestly have no idea. I think it's Brian, Leo said. Sergeant Frost narrowed his eyes. Fawn's friend, who likes to make up stories. Think about it, Leo said. He helped Fawn out before. Maybe she and her friends chased us up here on purpose. It wasn't Brian, Nick said. It was Alex Abendroth. Everyone froze. Sergeant Frost's gaze became twice as intense. After a moment, he said slowly, He told you that? Nix nodded. He said he wants to run for mayor or something, but Quincy and his mom might mess that up for him. It sounds like he's trying to find out whether they told Sarah anything before they disappeared. Also, I'm pretty sure he's hunting them down. He didn't exactly give me all the details. If Jordan hadn't shot him... You hit him? I think so. Sergeant Frost stood and grabbed a radio from one of the officers roaming the grounds. Tiamslin, come in. Go ahead, Sarge, came a staticky voice. Find any fresh blood on the attic floor, maybe over near the window. Hold on, I'll check. After a moment, he came back. Affirmative. We're taking a sample right now. Are we thinking this is the suspect? Nix nodded. Looks like it, Sergeant Frost said. Sergeant? came another voice on the radio that Nix didn't recognize. Your boy really made that shot hanging upside down from the roof? Focus on the investigation, gentlemen, Sergeant Frost said, but he couldn't hide the flash of a grin. Jordan had broken three bones. The doctor put his entire right leg in a cast. They also expressed their incredulity that he'd fallen three stories without shattering his spine. Although Nix told Jordan most everything about her conversation with Odias, she didn't feel comfortable telling him she'd saved his life, partly because it felt like bragging, but mostly because 
He'd technically been half-naked at the time, and she couldn't bring herself to admit that her spirit had cradled him in his underwear. Frankly, Nix was surprised Jordan hadn't mentioned feeling anything. Granted, falling headfirst off a roof didn't lend itself to quiet exploration of the senses. Remarkably, little changed after the Halloween incident. Besides Jordan hobbling around on crutches and recounting his heroics every hour on the hour, things in town and at school were pretty mundane. Sarah didn't seem to know what to do with the information that Alex Abendroth was trying to corner her to extract sensitive information and possibly kill her. The police tested the blood, which did in fact belong to a white male, but without a record of Abendroth's DNA, it was possible to confirm Nix's assertions. Despite her story, several of the police officers had started putting their eggs in the Brian is the murderer basket. Not that it bothered Nix. The police wouldn't be much help in catching a demon, and being harassed by law enforcement might do Brian some good. The most notable change took place in Nix's own house. The whole experience with Odias and Gary had instilled in Nix a sense of urgency for life and made her realize that her time as a mortal was too short to ostracize her only real family member. The conversation went something like this. Mom, I really appreciate you giving me a little space these last few weeks. I know I haven't been the best daughter lately. It's actually been crazy. Well, you know, you've seen the police reports. Silence. I really am sorry about, you know, the hair thing and the cats. Silence. Did I tell you I have a part in the school musical? Silence. Mom, are you okay? At that point, Mrs. Wack began to talk and cry at the same time. She apparently had an entire laundry list of things she needed to get off her chest. Happily, critiques about Nix's weight and behavior weren't among them. It was super uncomfortable at first. But after a while, Nix put her arm over her mother's shoulder and told her it was okay that she wasn't a perfect mother and that she'd given Nix an eating disorder and that her self-esteem would probably never recover. She didn't say it quite that way, but in the end, both mother and daughter had spoken in high, squeaky voices and shared clumsy arm pats. You don't have to be careful anymore, Mom. You're not going to fend me or push me away. If I have a concern, we can talk about it, like adults. And then Nick spent nearly an hour gushing about Tiago and why he was destined to be Mrs. Wack's son-in-law. Nix also thought to ask about her dad. Mrs. Wack hadn't heard anything from him since he'd left over two months ago, but that wasn't unusual. Nix didn't know what to make of this. If he'd been killed, wouldn't they have been notified by now? Maybe Patrick had misinterpreted what he'd seen. No one told Nix what happened to Gary's body or where the funeral was. She tried not to think too hard on her experience in the attic, because that inevitably brought up memories of the cherries and leached the color from her day. The crier did a surprisingly boring piece on the incident. Obviously, Sergeant Frost had managed to keep Crotty away from the reporters. The short article said there had been an accident in town, and police were actively searching for a medium to slight-billed white male. Nix and her friends did their part in keeping an eye out for people with gunshot injuries. But since men typically wore shirts in November, that turned out to be a useless endeavor. On the plus side, Nix went several weeks without anyone trying to steal her body or threaten her loved ones. It seemed Odias was licking his wounds. And if Weatherwax was still possessed, the demon must have been dying of boredom as he sat in his office reading cookbooks. Now that Sergeant Frost suspected Abendroth had killed Gary, did that ruin Odias's plans to be welcomed back and elected to office? 
Maybe the Alex Demon duo had found a different backwoods community to infiltrate. Ms. Winkle plodded along, sometimes energetic, other days morose and moving like an 80-year-old. Fawn continued to keep her distance, although she now shared with all of them the glares previously reserved for Sarah. Somehow, rehearsals continued to function amidst the drama of the cast. As the days sped by, Nix half expected another catfight to break out, but Fawn's dwindling ring of sycophants acted as a barrier to keep her emotionally contained, as well as keep the girl's growing number of enemies at bay. A month before opening night, a truck delivered four gigantic aquariums. Mrs. Finkbone tried to continue practice as usual, but gave up when most of the actors went to help the stage crew unpack and set them up. Nix had to admit, even completely empty, the tanks were impressive. The improved set had a profound impact on the cast. Nix rarely saw anyone with a textbook in their lap. Frivolous chit-chatting was at an all-time low. Even while waiting for rides on the curb, Nix had taken to conducting deep breathing exercises with a few of the interested chorus members. After a few nights, Mrs. Finkpone asked her to lead warm-ups before rehearsal. Most were pleased to have some singing direction that didn't involve slapping themselves in the face. The new methods were simple and pain-free. Only Fawn complained about having to lay on her back with a set of books on her stomach. A few select boys took to removing their shirts during the warm-ups to keep the books from sliding off as they breathed. But the director quickly put a stop to that since the girls were finding it impossible to focus on their own exercises. Although it did speed practice along, Nix knew she would never forgive Mrs. Finkbone for making Tiago put his polo back on. During school hours, the halls buzzed with talk of the musical. It seemed the Wizard of Oi was destined to be the biggest town event since the old Renaissance festivals. Vaughn made sure everyone within earshot knew the entire cross-high football team was coming just to watch her on opening night. Curiously, she never mentioned her good friends from across the river, or Brian, who was apparently not such an inspiration as he had been. The weather grew nasty, then nice, then frigid. By the time November died in an explosion of turkey and mashed potatoes, Nix had finally started to relax. She no longer jumped when the classroom door opened. She often went to sleep without peering out all the windows. Her focus slowly shifted from life and death, and Tiago, to classwork and rehearsals, and Tiago. She was still gaining weight, but hey, she was a growing girl. Maybe if she got fat enough, the demons would look elsewhere for their flesh suits. The day of the public dress rehearsal dawned icy and wet. On the bus, Nix went over lyrics, humming into her mittens, as if trying to keep warm. Although she'd had all the songs memorized for weeks, as well as most of the other cast members' lines, she figured it wouldn't hurt to review. Friends and family of the cast had been invited to watch the final run-through, and Nix had never performed in front of a real audience before. She didn't know what stage fright might do to her memory. She kept repeating her two lines over and over, as if trying to engrave them into her soul. In the end, she finally wrote them on the inside of her arm. Classes had never gone so quickly. During lunch, Nix's excitement changed to apprehension, which in turn morphed into terror halfway through seventh period. As she walked toward the auditorium, her legs felt like two fire hoses, as if any minute someone could turn off the water and they'd collapse under her weight. Jordan had wrapped his crutches in black duct tape so they'd match his sea urchin costume. He was saying something about a light bar, but to Nix it sounded like underwater gargling. 
Beryl raced past them, swinging her backpack around, her head like a sling. Guess everyone's got their own ways to deal with stress. Nix turned, half wondering why that comment had made it through the turmoil of her mind. Of course, Tiago stood next to her. Her brain could be cut into a hundred grayish pieces, and each would stand at attention when he spoke. Nix shuddered at the image of quivering brain cubes, but at least it distracted her a little from the coming performance. You okay, Nix? Tiago asked. You look a bit pale. Not all of us were born with a permanent tan, Jordan said. Tiago said something about pasty white skin that earned him a slug in the shoulder. Nix smiled weakly to show that she would be okay, but she was starting to wonder. The last time she'd been on stage, she'd dropped dead. At least, it couldn't get much worse than that. When they stepped into the darkened auditorium, all conversation ended. Wowza, Jordan whispered. Nix could only stare. The tanks had been filled with water and what seemed like thousands of fish. Their scales glittered under the stage lights. Tiago vomited. Nix and Jordan sprang out of the way in time, but one unlucky freshman chose that moment to step past them. Tiago wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Sorry, I guess I'm more nervous than I thought. The girl with puke-spattered pants accepted his apology and actually seemed a little honored by the whole ordeal. She'll probably frame those when she gets home, Jordan said. Nix was getting a little queasy herself. She leaned ominously toward Jordan. If you're feeling left out, she mimed barfing on him. Tiago laughed, and in that moment, something clicked inside her. If the most beautiful boy in the Milky Way galaxy laughed at her jokes, then who else did she have to impress? She knew her lines. She knew the play backwards and forwards. Even if she somehow managed to make a fool of herself again, her friends would still be there afterwards. I'll go find a janitor to clean up this mess, Nick said. Jordan, you want me to save some of Tiago's lunch for you in a cup? This time both boys laughed and Nix wondered how she could ever have been nervous in the first place. For the next two hours, Mrs. Finkbone ran them ragged, then told them to meet back in 15 minutes to begin makeup and costumes. Most of the cast used the time to lie down and try to calm their nerves. Nix, who was still feeling remarkably composed, wandered along the tanks, examining the darting fish. She lost herself in the flurry of color until a voice startled her. Aren't they gorgeous? Sarah tapped the glass with a spoon, causing a large suckerfish to scurry back among the pebbles. She dipped the spoon back in her plain yogurt and took a fatty bite. You must have cleaned out every pet store from here to Midland, Nick said. Actually, I got them online. It took me like six hours to decide which ones I wanted. They mail fish? Sarah smiled. They deliver, except I forgot to give them the school's address, so this morning they showed up at my house ready to put them in the pool. My dad almost choked on his eggs. Remorse flashed across her face. No doubt Sarah was thinking of Nix's foster mother and that bouncy ball. Nix pretended not to notice. Are your parents coming tonight? Sarah's face fell a little. My dad's got to work, but he said tomorrow for sure. My mom wants to watch the final show because it'll be more polished. Nix watched the fish a moment. So tonight's really it. You nervous? What would I be nervous for? All I have to do is stay backstage and change the backdrops occasionally. Probably be playing cards with Mr. Coons. Well, you've done a great job, Nick said, hoping she didn't sound too much like Polly Pucker. The scenery is going to steal the show. Sarah smiled, but it didn't reach her eyes. Is something wrong? 
Sarah sighed. I'm kind of bummed it's almost over. I'm still not sure what's happening with me and Tiago. I mean, we hold hands once in a while, but we never talk about anything important. And after this week, I won't even get to see him anymore. I thought your dad likes the Padillas now. He dropped the lawsuit, but that's not exactly the same thing. Nix nodded sagely. She wanted to say, tough luck, guess Tiago will have to settle for the plus-size girl. But the genuine pain in Sarah's eyes prompted advice that wasn't exactly in Nix's own best interest. I think Tiago likes you well enough, Nix said slowly. But he doesn't seem to be very assertive. Sarah furrowed her eyebrows. Probably why Fawn got her hooks into him so quickly. It's not his fault, Sarah said. All I'm saying is, unless you take charge a little, you might be in this half-in, half-out stage forever. So you think I should plaster myself on him like Fawn? Fawn doesn't plaster, she bulldozes. Sarah took another bite. Next time you guys have a chance to be alone, Nix continued, tell him how you feel. Help him make a decision about your relationship. Are you sure you're 16? Sarah asked with a tiny smile. I guess years of trying to keep up with Jordan have turned me into a know-it-all. A face appeared on the opposite side of the aquarium, lips pressed against the glass and cheeks blowing outward. Time to get started, Beryl announced after pulling her mouth off the tank. Everyone else is already in the bathrooms doing makeup. Nix looked around the mostly empty auditorium. I guess I'd better go, although I'm not sure they're even going to put makeup on me. I've got like five minutes of stage time. As it turned out, the makeup director, a junior boy who knew way too much about liquid eyeliner, had big plans for the queen of plankton land. He kept her in the chair for half an hour before he was satisfied. Nix nearly fell over when she looked in the mirror. Had it not been for the purple eyeshadow that went halfway up her forehead and the green lipstick, she would have looked exactly like her mother. Nix shivered. She couldn't tell which was worse, seeing her resemblance to Mrs. Wack or having to appear in public looking like an alien. Nix quickly stopped feeling sorry for herself when she saw Jordan's makeup. Several layers of black covered his entire face. Q-tips broken in half had been painted black and glued to his forehead and cheeks. The pointy ends stuck out like drooping antenna. Enter the sea urchin, Jordan said in a dramatic voice, obviously pleased with his costume. Nix wondered how long it had taken the wardrobe team to glue the black golf tees to his jumpsuit. By far the gaudiest costume was the cowardly lionfish. Elaborate spiky fins of wire and tissue paper stretched in all directions, making the poor boy look like a parade float. He entangled himself with three other people, once nearly ripping off a fin, before the crew learned to keep a four-foot perimeter around him at all times. An Asian girl with a single braid down her back helped Nix into her costume, a flowing purple cape, green sweats, and little purple elf shoes they'd used for Aladdin the year before. The cast spent the next several minutes fawning over each other. Then the original fawn strolled out of the bathroom and the crowd grew quiet. She was breathtaking in her wetsuit. Her typically wavy brown hair had been slicked back to give it a wet look, and her makeup, while just as thick as usual, had arched and sharpened her features until she was startling to look at. Her eyes appeared too big for her face, and her lips nearly seemed to reach her ears. Jordan stared at her as if he'd forgotten what she looked like with her face pressed against the car window and claws grappling for tender flesh. 
boys. At least Tiago didn't join the rest of the piranhas when they went up to congratulate Fawn for no reason in particular. Fawn addressed them all in a loud, queenly voice, thanking them for their admiration. She'd just gotten started on the trials of carrying an entire production on one's shoulders when the first spectator arrived and Mrs. Finkbone rushed the cast backstage. Sarah closed the curtain and the students erupted into a flurry of activity, chanting lines to cement them in their mind, sucking on lemons to soothe their vocal cords, and chattering like a tree full of birds to delay the onset of stage fright. Nix waited by the curtain, listening to the sounds growing on the other side, occasionally taking a peek as the auditorium filled with students, teachers, and parents. At exactly seven o'clock, Mrs. Finkbone welcomed the good-sized crowd and introduced her play. The original Wizard of Oz had always been special to her, and in this work she'd explored the familiar story with a new setting, an undersea land called Oi, after its founder, an exceptionally inventive oyster. By the time she'd finished her explanations, the crowd seemed a little less enthusiastic. Still, they clapped loudly as Fawn stepped out onto the stage. Toto, look at the beautiful waves of the sea, Fawn bellowed. How they dance and roll. I wonder what could be hidden beneath them. In the darkness at the side of the stage, Jordan turned to Nix. I don't remember that line. I don't either, Nix whispered, her eyebrows furrowed. Her first line is supposed to be, those clouds are brewing something fierce. Jordan looked horrified. What is she doing then? Maybe she got mixed up, Nix said without conviction. Eventually, Fawn seemed to find her place again and began using lines from the script. Her Somewhere Under the Ocean solo was beautiful, but since Jordan had mentioned it, Nix had noticed a certain intensity in her vibrato that sounded a little forced. Still, Nix had to admit that Fawn seemed completely at ease on stage, as if made for the spotlight. Everyone, including Mrs. Finkbone, seemed surprised when the whirlpool scene began and Sarah switched on a strobe light. Technically, it was Jordan's repaired police light bar, which he'd covered with purple and green tissue paper. The effect was mesmerizing, and Nix couldn't stop grinning. Soon after, the water swallowed the house, however. Unfamiliar phrases began to creep into the scene, and Nix grew uneasy. She'd been listening very carefully for the words, I don't think we're on the beach anymore, slow toe, her cue to enter and welcome Dorothy to Plankton Land. But as Fawn's monologue took increasingly random turns, Nix began to fear she'd missed her cue completely. Was that why Fawn was ad-libbing, because Nix hadn't come in? On a sudden impulse, Nix sprang out into the lights and said her first line perfectly. Relief pulsed through her. She hadn't even needed to look at her arm. Then she saw Fawn's face. Nix couldn't tell if the tiny girl was angry because Nix had interrupted, or because it had taken her so long to do so. They stood in silence for what seemed like a full minute. Murmurs issued from the black void where the audience sat. Plankton land, but where's that? Nix hissed, trying not to move her mouth. Fawn didn't seem to appreciate the help. Instead, she said in a bored voice, Plankton land sounds charming. The audience laughed. On the piano, Beryl started an introduction, but backstage, the other plankton seemed confused about whether to enter for the musical number. Nix gave a single nod in their direction, and thankfully, they filed on stage. Besides a few minor mistakes that the audience probably didn't notice, the dancing went perfectly. The plankton choir had a little trouble with their notes, 
but as Nix grew louder, the others were able to follow her. She silently thanked Mrs. Zerby for teaching her to belt it out. This diaphragm stuff really worked. Nix handed Fawn a kelp lollipop. We thank you very gently for doing it so wetly. Mrs. Finkbone and Nix had compromised since gently sounded less jarring than wently. In a flurry of song, Nix danced offstage with the other purple and green clothed microorganisms, then fell against the back wall, panting. She couldn't stop grinning. She'd done it. Except for the ensemble cast singing at the end, her part was over. It had gone surprisingly well. Now Nix could sit back and watch the rest of the play. After catching her breath, she pushed her way to the side of the stage and sat on the floor next to the curtain. Jordan was already on stage, delivering his first line about never being the smartest sea urchin in his class. Fawn's reply startled Nix. This time, instead of making up her own line, she had delivered one from the second act. Did Fawn really not know her lines? She never seemed to have a problem in rehearsals. Maybe it was all the people that were making her nervous. It was Jordan's turn to speak, but he hesitated. Had he lost his place too? What was happening? Nix whispered Jordan's line under her breath, hoping he'd somehow remember. With an uncertainty Nix had never seen in her best friend, Jordan delivered his line. It was the wrong one. He'd said the line that followed Fawn's in the second act, and it didn't make any sense at all in the yellow coral road scene. Nix covered her face, her pulse beating wildly in her palms. The musical was falling apart. Fawn gave Jordan a strange look and then proceeded to her next line. At least it was the right one this time. As Jordan opened his mouth to speak, Fawn interrupted him. Yes, I know what you're thinking. You'd like to keep me company on my way to the Pearl City. And yes, I do think the wizard can give you the left frontal lobe you've been without for so long. Nix's mouth dropped open. Fawn had just delivered Jordan's lines. Even through the face paint, the sea urchin emanated an unmistakable fury. Just as it seemed he would grab for her throat, the lights dimmed and the backstage crew began moving props. The scene had ended. As soon as Fawn slipped out of sight of the audience, a crowd of angry cast members converged on her. What's going on, Miss Deshay? Mrs. Finkbone asked. Yeah, you just said half my lines, Jordan said, loud enough that a few audience members must have heard. Of course I did, Fawn said as a small boy pasted her stray hairs. You obviously don't remember them. Jordan rounded on Fawn, knocking the primping boy into the curtain. I was following your lead. You're the one who started spouting stuff from the end of the play. No kidding, the wicked barracuda of the West piped in. And some stuff she was saying wasn't even in the script. The scenery movers returned from their work on stage and warned that the lights would be up in a few seconds. Fawn ignored them and let out an exasperated groan. This is why I hate working with amateurs. Do you even know what improvisational acting is? They all stared at her in astonishment. I was making it more real, she continued. I was going with the feel of it, and yes, sometimes I had to make things up. But to everyone in the audience, it felt more believable. I'm sure the spectators were as confused as we were, Jordan said. Sarah came to stand next to Jordan. You're wrecking the play, she said. Others nodded in agreement. The lights came up on the empty stage. It's time, Mrs. Finkbone said in an urgent whisper. Get on stage and fawn. Stick to the script. As the players walked onto the stage, Nix caught Jordan by the arm. 
Your forehead spikes are coming loose. She grabbed the glue from the prop table and quickly administered to his face. What happened? She asked under her breath. I know my lines and the ones right before mine, Jordan whispered. If I don't hear the right cue, I'm not even sure where we are. I should have memorized the whole thing. It only would have taken an hour. Well, I think Fawn got the idea we don't approve of her shenanigans, so you should be fine now. She screwed the top back on the glue. Jordan mumbled his thanks and ran back on stage. This time, Nix listened carefully to the dialogue. It took Fawn exactly three lines before she, once again, started deviating from the script and delivering Jordan's lines when he hesitated. Nix wished Jordan were a little closer to the edge of the stage. Then she might be able to whisper the correct cues to him. A thought struck Nix, and she brought her hands to her face. She could do much better than hissing at him from off stage. If she could find some place to stash her body, she could insert the correct lines directly into his thoughts. It had been over a month since she'd stepped into the afterlife, and weeks since the demons had bothered her. It really seemed like O. Dias and his family had moved on. And even if they hadn't, Nix would only be out of her body for as long as it took to feed Jordan his line. A couple seconds at a time. Mr. Weatherwax wasn't in the audience, as far as she could tell. The only way a demon could steal her body would be if they'd been following her around waiting for her to leave it. Surely they had better things to do for months on end. Nix had to take the chance. It would be worth it to save Jordan from being humiliated and to keep the musical from falling apart. Nix surveyed the area behind the stage. She saw plenty of dark corners behind fish tanks and set boxes, but Sarah might spot her body when she went to change the backdrops. And while having Sarah screaming for paramedics would take the focus off Jordan's embarrassment, it wouldn't do much for the quality of the musical. Just then, Nick spotted the top rungs of a ladder, coming up from a hole in the stage. Perfect. She grabbed her book bag from the pile of student belongings, and after making sure no one was looking, descended the ladder. At the bottom, she breathed in the musty odor of dust and old wood. Above her, the actors' voices sounded muffled and echoey. She could just make out Fawn saying something about her connections with the Wizard of Oi, definitely not in the script. Nix's eyes adjusted and dim shapes appeared in the gloom. She strode soundlessly along the concrete floor. Luckily, there wasn't a lot to trip over in the wide open area. She lay down next to the trapdoor lift. Maybe after this was all over, Nix could get Jordan to pull her up on the rising platform. She'd miss the final dance and song, but no one would notice. She positioned the pack under her head and closed her eyes. It had been ages since she'd done this. A deep breath, then another. She focused on her chest and felt around for the valves of her heart. As soon as she had control of them, she slowed the beating and relaxed the flow of blood until finally her soul and body split, like the peel off a banana. In an instant, Nix was above the stage, but the view confused her. Plants waving in an unseen wind little bird-like creatures flying toward her face. It took her a second to realize she'd come up inside one of the tanks. Fish swam through her like darts. Then Nix looked beyond the tank and froze. Through the glass on one side, kids in costumes danced about the stage. On the other, a man with thick, dark eyebrows gazed past the waving seaweed, staring directly at her. His teeth flashed in a creepy smile. Nix dropped through the floor and hovered protectively over her still form. Had that been a man or a spirit? Was it Obelus? Achilles? Maybe Odias had separated from Abendroth since his cover had been blown. But why hadn't he tried to take her body? 
After a couple moments in darkness, Nyx began to feel silly. A demon would have jumped right into her body instead of grinning at her. It had to have been a flesh-and-blood man. That meant he couldn't have seen her. He was looking through the water at the kids. She shot up again, this time whizzing past the fish tanks and looking down from the lights. The space behind the aquariums was empty. Nyx didn't know whether to be relieved or terrified. Why were strange men wandering around backstage? Just to be safe, she found Sarah, near the props table, with a worried look on her face. Nyx realized it was not going well on stage. She put the creepy fish man on the back burner and moved to center stage, right next to the sweating sea urchin. Cowardly lionfish was saying how he lacked courage because he'd been born without venom. Nyx went over the script in her mind, grateful she'd spent so much time in the line learning station. If she remembered correctly, the talking submarine would say something about asking the wizard for help, soon followed by Fawn's official line, Of course he'll help. That's what makes him such a wonderful wizard. Then it would be Jordan's line about it not being too far now. The talking sub delivered his line perfectly, but Fawn's was barely recognizable. I'd be surprised if the wizard didn't have a special jar of lionfish venom just for you, she said. Panicked look washed over Jordan's face. Nix moved directly in front of Jordan and said Fawn's line the right way. That's what makes him such a wonderful wizard. Just as Fawn opened her mouth to take over Jordan's line, he spoke. Well, we better get a move on. It can't be too far now. Nix beamed. He'd done it. Fawn seemed surprised and slightly annoyed but the scene continued smoothly. Nyx passed through the wooden floor and found her body lying peacefully with her hands folded across her chest. Speaking of creepy, only thing missing was the coffin. She made a mental note to avoid that pose in the future. At least her flesh hadn't been hijacked. She did another quick scan of the auditorium and backstage. No telltale living darkness. No men with large eyebrows. At least not the one that had almost given her a spiritual heart attack. Nyx jumped back into her body. Yikes. She'd forgotten about the shock of pain. At least it was short. She took a few breaths, then exited again and floated back up to Jordan's side. Every time his part approached, Nix fed him the line before. He never had any trouble. After a while, Fawn stopped trying to deliver the lines on top of him. Following every prompt, Nix returned to her body to keep it warm and make sure it was still unoccupied. The pain was never bearable, exactly, but if she didn't dwell on it, the memory of it faded quickly. Maybe she was getting slightly desensitized to it. At least she didn't dread going back as much as she used to. It helped to have a secret mission. Twice Nix had to prompt others who'd gotten distracted by Fawn's detours. It felt just like rehearsal, her calling out lines and directions, except now she was invisible and floating over their heads. Although she was having fun, Nix felt a wave of relief when the act ended and Beryl began playing the interlude. On the fourth or fifth? Re-entry, she took a moment to relax and revel in her success. The muscles in her neck felt stiff and sore. Apparently, a backpack full of books didn't make a very good pillow. Nix rolled onto her side and pulled the jerky out of the pack. Raised voices drifted down through the stage floor, steadily growing louder. One of them said something about the plankton queen. Flip. They were looking for her. After a large slab of jerky, Nix was able to hobble over to the ladder. It took a few moments to still her shaky hands, and then, one awful rung at a time, Nyx struggled upward. Finally, she reached the top and collapsed onto the floor behind the tanks. There you are, Jordan said. I've been looking for you every- His eyes widened when he saw where she'd just crawled from. It was you! Are you crazy? Wait, 
Are you really Nix? You didn't tell me a code word. Yes, it's me. If it weren't, you'd be hearing the real Nix screaming in your ear, not to trust me. Jordan listened for a bit, apparently hearing nothing. Well, thanks for the help. At first I thought something had just clicked in my head, but then I saw you weren't at your usual spot by the curtain. Nix grinned. Someone had to keep Fawn from ruining the entire production? Too late, Jordan offered his hand. What do you mean? But as Nix stood, she saw a group of solemn cast members gathered backstage. Some were hugging, a few crying. Did Fawn hurt someone? Did she go ape again and destroy someone's costume? She left. Nix stumbled and would have fallen if Jordan hadn't caught her arm. The curtains and backdrops seemed to close in around her. You mean she just- We all got mad at her again. Mrs. Finkbone even threatened to take her part away. So Fawn flipped out and said we could do it on our own. She took off right out the front entrance so everyone could see her leave. Despair engulfed Nix. She wanted to sit down and cry. But then she saw Sarah leaning against one of the fish tanks, eyes glistening, staring off into space. I guess I'll apologize to the audience, Mrs. Finkbone said. We'll have to give their money back for the advance tickets we sold. She brushed a strand of hair back and felt for the edge of the curtain. Wait, Nick said. Sarah can play Dorothy. Two dozen grim faces turned to Nick's. Mrs. Finkbone wore an expression of weary understanding. I know, Nix, it hurts me too, to have it end up this way. But what about Sarah? There aren't any more solos. I could help her with her lines. Nix desperately wanted to tell them what she'd done for Jordan and that she could do the same for Sarah. Anything to keep them from giving up. No. This time, it was Sarah who spoke. I don't know the blocking or the dance steps. Having me take Fawn's place will only embarrass us more. And then what about tomorrow night? Are we going to take Fawn back so I won't have to sing the solo? One of the girls began sobbing in earnest. Jordan emerged from the shadows. But there is one person who knows all the lines, blocking and music, because she pretty much ran rehearsals for two weeks. Mrs. Finkbone's expression grew thoughtful. A ghost of a smile touched her lips. She peered down at Nick's. Are you up to saving the musical again?